The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What's good, y'all? Welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast. My name is Jordan White, and I am joined once again by my co-host, Christopher Weber. Schwebzy, how are you doing tonight? Hi, friends. I'm doing good. Um, some personal news. I'm getting married in a week. Yes. Schwebzy is getting married. Yeah, this is fantastic. Uh, so I feel like Yancey asks you every single time, uh, when you're actually getting married and it's funny that it's actually finally just like a week away now. Uh, how excited are you? I, I'm like an 11 on a one to 10, but I kind of hope that Yancey continues to ask me when I'm getting married after I've already gotten married. It's kind of a running bit at this point. I actually don't know if he doesn't know or if he just likes to ask you every single time we hang out just because he thinks it's funny. It seems like something that Yancey would do, but yeah. Uh, Super duper exciting. Uh, because of that, we will not have Schwebzy on the episode that comes out next week, Monday, because he will be obviously doing wedding things on the evening that we would usually be recording. So uh, with that in mind, keep an eye out. We're going to have a guest host for our episode next week. Uh, if you want to have an update on when that episode comes out, along with this episode and everything else that we do, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Deep PL, and also follow us individually at Schwebzi, that's S-H-W-E-B-S-I, or Bunt Singles for me. Uh, let's dive right into it, Schwebzi. We have a lot to talk about, starting off with someone who I think might actually graduate pretty soon here, Brandon Belt. Yeah, in uh, in classic pitcher list fashion, we might go a little bit long today. Yeah, it's fine. So Brandon Belt is sitting at 19%. It has been slowly rising as last week he was at 11%. So I think this is going to be our newest graduate as of a, a couple of days from now. But uh, yeah, uh, Brandon Belt makes yet another appearance on this list he is heating up and we've talked about how he's still doing all of the good things that we mentioned way back in our corner infield preview. Uh, he was just striking out a little bit more than we wanted. Well, the strikeout rate's coming down. It's down nearly 2% on the season since last week. His rolling charts show that in his last 25 plate appearances, it's at a much more palatable 28%, although that's still uncharacteristically high for him. I'm still expecting this number to fall a little bit more and for our boy Brandon to continue 
mashing some baseballs. Uh, so I don't want to be a broken record with bringing up Brandon Belt. Uh, I kind of wanted to bring him up to bring up a larger point about San Francisco Giants hitters because the Giants seem to have a lot of deep league relevant players. They have a, they have a lot of platoon guys, and those guys tend to be on the periphery of fantasy rosters. So we're talking about guys like uh, Brandon Belt, Mike Tockman, Stephen Dugar, Dugar, and uh, Brandon Crawford, a, a lot of the lefties in the San Francisco lineup. So we've talked before about how the open gates out in right field make a really big difference in how that ballpark plays for lefties, and those gates are open right now. Baseball Savant's new park factors show that in 2019, Oracle Park was by far the worst park in baseball for dingers for lefties. In 2018, it was like the fourth worst. In 2017, once again, dead last by a lot. It's not just that they were low in the rankings, but the numbers themselves are so consistently low compared to the rest of the league. Since 2020, however, we're looking at a ranking of ninth among all ballparks and a significantly above average park factor for lefties hitting dingers in both 2020 and 21. This could be really significant. We're still talking about only three months worth of games, which is not enough games for park factors to really stabilize, but it's such a stark change that I I think this is relevant. Uh, I think this is actionable information that we can really take advantage of. Yeah, we've been t- talking up Giants hitters pretty much since we started the podcast, honestly. They've been featured in many, many episodes, and this is the reason why. Is like, like you said, the park factors do need a little bit more time to stabilize and figure out exactly where we stand, but this is such a stark swinging of the needle in the opposite direction that we know that it's going to sit somewhere where it's going to be better for these left-handed hitters and just hitters in general for Oracle. So. Definitely a good call out here. Along with that, we also want to talk about Brandon Crawford a little bit here too. He's another beneficiary of this. Uh, Schwebzy, let's dive a little bit deeper uh, into the always seemingly wet boy, Brandon Crawford. Yeah, what is it? His hair is always, it, it, it just looks like he always just stepped out of a shower, whether it's the first inning or the eighth inning. He's always, okay, he definitely uses some product in his hair, 100%, like just to maintain those curls and make sure that he doesn't get too light. Because I feel like it probably, just to make sure that it doesn't like frizz up or like bunch up too much, he's got very naturally curly hair, so he definitely takes care of himself. Shout out to Brandon Crawford for that. Hey, Brandon Crawford, drop that hair care routine for us. I, I, like, I, I can use it because I'm balding, but like at the same time, let the rest of us know. I feel like he's just got like a tub of like axle grease at his locker room and he's God. just greasing up like a pig every day before every game. Uh, Brandon Crawford's got that soul glow (laughs) in in his locker. But it is well established at this point that I am an absolute sucker for plate discipline, right? And Brandon Crawford is walking at a career best rate. He's been banged up quite a bit lately, but it has seemingly had no effect at all whatsoever on his production as he's just crushing it at the plate. Basically, every one of his indicators is trending upwards. He's walking at the career high rate. Average launch angle is up. He's hitting the ball harder and more often than pretty much ever before. It's going back to like 2015. Seems like all good things. All good things. He's well below all of his X stats at the moment. And that could be a little misleading. It doesn't mean he's definitely going to be better, but it, it means that, you know, what, what, when he's making contact, good things probably should be happening at this moment. Uh, His quality of contact has been pretty good so far. He's swinging less often and making less contact, 
but he appears to be making good decisions on what to swing at as he's been able to drive what he has been connecting with. It's leading to a pretty wild 14.5% barrel rate that puts him in the top 40 players in all the baseball, minimum 50 batted ball events. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So there appears to have been an approach change. And between that and what I'm tentatively calling the Oracle Park effect, I'm kind of buying this. I we, we will have to come up with a catchier name. Uh, I would grab Crawford if you can, but make sure you hold on tight because, as mentioned before, he looks very moist. May I recommend that we call it the new Oracle Park effect or nope? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Something like that. That might be good. Or we could call it, I could be very Midwestern. We could just keep it as the Oracle Park effect and I could we just call it Ope. Oh. <laughs> oh. So the interesting thing is like it, righties aren't as impacted by this gate thing. But like, there's also a lot of righties having like career years for the Giants in the past couple of years, like Longoria, Posey, uh, Donnie Barrels, Yastrzemski. Yastrzemski yeah. is a lefty, but uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. There have been a lot of unexpected offensive performances out of the Giants, and we probably talk about them like a disproportionate amount as a result. But yeah, because you you just have to pay attention to all those. Uh, I don't even I don't even want to call them down roster guys for the Giants because even quote down roster guys have roles for the Giants. Oh yeah, they definitely play their platoons a ton, stuff like that. Obviously, we're going to focus a little bit more on the lefties and the effects that they're having because, like you said, um, they're seeing the benefits of this right field gate being open, and it, it just like stands to reason. Like if you just use common sense, you would think that right field gate being open, if it's going to affect anyone, it is going to be the left-handed hitters, and luckily it is affecting things in a positive way for them. So I think the fascination here that we have is pretty justified overall. So keep an eye on those San Francisco hitters, uh, play some hot streaks if you can. Uh, and definitely if like Brandon Belt or Brandon Crawford, the killer bees out there in San Francisco are still available, please just take a flyer on them. Just do it. Yeah. Like I know I, I spent a lot of time just kind of talking about the, uh, the inputs, but like the outputs are good. Brandon Crawford's got four home runs in his last 18, uh, at bats. That, that's kind of good. That's a pretty good rate. We'll take that's that. Pretty, pretty good. All right. Uh, moving down to the Lone Star state, we're going to talk a little bit about Willie Calhoun. Uh, Schwebzy, you wrote this one up too. So I'm going to let you take this mostly. Uh, he's not a guy that barrels the ball up a ton, but he's making, pretty consistently good contact and getting a lot of uh, hits and spraying it all over the field. Let's go uh, throw it to you and let me know what he's doing here. That's leading to his success. So I, I ran this nickname by you earlier and I, I kind of want to run with it. We're going with we Willie Calhoun because he stands, <sighs> he stands at a towering five foot eight. Um, <laughs> I would not want to run into him in an alley, but Hashtag he, short King. Hashtag short king. Yeah, I would I would never want to run into him in an alley because he would absolutely wreck me, even though I stand at 6'3. Uh, but yeah, we Willie Calhoun is what we're going with right now. Uh so we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, and he then proceeded to make us look really, really smart because he has been absolutely wrecking the ball. The low barrel rate, as you mentioned, kind of stands out right now. Because yeah. it is that so when you're looking at his stack cast page, which yeah, we've said before can be misleading, but generally when it's all red, you're doing good things. So his is all red with the exception of sprint speed, obviously, and barrel rate. And that's a weird one to be the uh the outlier. So it's basically he's he's hitting the ball really hard all over the field. 
at all launch angles, just not in that band of launch angles that leads to barrels. It's it's interesting production, but he is hitting the heck out of the ball. We uh, we were watching some videos of his home runs, and like he just when he gets into one, like he just launches it. Well, like he most notably, a- there's like that there's that one that he hit against. Uh, oh my gosh, why can't I think of his name? I forget uh, who it was too, but it was like at his Liam eyes. It was, he, yeah, he, oh, he yeah, hit a home yeah, yeah. run. He hit home run against Liam Hendricks, ninety-seven miles an hour, and it, like on a six-foot-two person, it would have been at their eyes. This was like at the top of Willie Calhoun's helmet, and he somehow got around it. Like it's, I think the thing that allows him to be such a good hitter at his stature too is the fact that he's got such great hand speed because he has multiple home runs off of balls that are up at his eyes or higher this year. Yeah. And I, I've seen him turn on one and wrap it around the foul pole and just, it was so, it was inside, it was an inside fastball and he just, just the, the hands yeah. are so fast, but I love the overall profile because he's much better than the league average in zone contact, chase rate, with percentage and meatball swing percentage, all of which tells me that he's seeing the ball well, waiting for his pitch. And when he's getting it, he's hitting the absolute heck out of it. So the thing that concerns me is that he doesn't hit breaking balls. This is the anti this is the anti-Nate Low in that Willie Calhoun's whole approach seems to be seek out fastball, hit fastball. He's basically when when there's a breaking pitch, he either swings and misses at it, swings at it and misses, or lets it go. One of one of those two things. He doesn't hit it. Um the whiffs are bad, but they're not happening in two strike counts. Like he's got a high whiff percentage on breaking pitches, but not a high strikeout percentage. So will, will pitchers start to exploit this and start throwing more breaking pitches? Maybe remains to be seen, but uh, it's definitely something I'm going to be keeping an eye on. The approach is absolutely working right now as he's producing like gangbusters I I'm I'm absolutely buying this and riding it until the production peters out. So Willie Calhoun was someone that I took a flyer on last year. He was hurt a little bit as well. I know he wasn't healthy for the full season and obviously the short season is going to make for just weird output regardless because bad luck along with the injuries could just ruin the season. And he wasn't great last year. He really wasn't. But looking at everything here with Schwebzy, I'm buying in on Willie Calhoun again as well. Like I'm probably going to grab him in any auto new leagues that he's available in. I think he's still out there in one of mine at least. Uh, and then as far as like the depth of leagues that you're looking at him in, obviously like AL only leagues, you can probably snag him and he's going to be at a reasonable price. And then probably 15 plus team leagues, he's going to be out there in at least half of them, I would say. So definitely take a look at Willie Calhoun moving on to the exact opposite side of the country, moving north up into Minnesota. We're going to talk about Williams Astadio, another short king. Uh, we got a theme. We do have a theme a little bit. Uh, we know who he is. He's a short, fun guy, obviously, and he's catcher eligible. Those are three pluses right there that we love to have on our teams. Uh, what else do we need to know here about Estadio? Obviously, the injuries up in Minnesota are a reason why we should be targeting him as well. What else should we be looking at here, Schwebs? Well, this this is strictly for you guys in two catcher leagues, right? We yeah. we know that right now Minnesota has uh, Arias is injured, Kirilov is injured, Buxton is injured, and while these guys may not necessarily play uh, Tortuga's positions, the fact is they're going to have to shuffle people around, and 
uh, Astadio is a utility guy. He's going to play all over the diamond. So the more guys that are injured, the more chances that he's going to play. And you know what you're getting with him. There's, you know, I, I don't think he's going to surprise anybody. He never strikes out. He never walks. He puts the bat on the ball. And that is what he does. That 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 is that is Williams Estudio. Uh whatever you do, if you're in an OBP league, do not pick up Williams Estudio. This is strictly for you batting average league people. So uh as long as these guys are injured, uh batting average leagues, pick up Williams Estudio. Love it. And uh he's got three home runs so far. Which that is, is nice. That is that is a pleasant surprise from him. Uh, I don't know if I'd expect much more power beyond that, but I am all for riding this turtle like Marlin in Finding Nemo. Boo. Nick Pollock would be proud, but boo. That was, that was for you, <laughs> Daddy Nick. Oh, that's a weird oh. note. Don't say that. <laughs> no, too, that's staying in. Okay. That's living on the internet forever. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm going to clip that one. All right. Papa uh, Nick. Papa? Papa. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Uh, one more guy or two more that we're going to talk about here in terms of batters going a little bit deeper on Harrison Bader just came back from the IL and has been producing pretty well for the Cardinals. Uh, definitely a welcome sight for you Cardinal fans out there. We kind of know the story on Bader, right? Like it's a low batting average guy with some speed and some pop. He's going to have a little bit, a little bit of each, uh, but maybe not like his profile so far since he came back is a little bit different. Trebsy, let's dive into him a bit more, a bit more. All right, so the last like three years, Harrison Bader has ran basically like a thirty percent strikeout rate, which is bad. We don't we don't like that. But very small sample size. So far, he's at twelve point one percent strikeout rate, and I would normally write this off as noise, but at this moment, he is rocking a ninety point seven zone contact rate and a seventeen point nine percent whiff rate both of which are like 10% better than his career norms. Those are huge improvements. He's also chasing much less often than usual. And obviously this is a great combo. As a final point in his favor, I know I've said before on the pod that I'm a fan of players that play really strong defense because defense winds up helping your offense as defense keeps you in the lineup and it gives you more chances to produce. And that's really big when we're talking about like fringe deep league players. Yeah. Love that. I mean, everything. So like with the positive, obviously if he's striking out much less great positive, also the zone contact rate elevated, super high positive. It also screams regression to me. So I'm waiting for that eventual just descent back to earth and crash for Bader. But we can't also just assume that that's going to happen. Maybe he has made changes. I think that we don't have a big enough sample size to figure out if he's made tangible changes to his approach that have allowed him to do this. But it's something to be mindful of. See, I, I'm I'm encouraged because normally when we see weird outlier performances, it it happens on the output more than the input, right? Like it happens on you know weird BABIP or weird home run to fly ball uh, ratios. It it's not often that the the weird outlier is like he's just hitting the ball ten percent more often in the zone. Like that's that's a skill, I think, and you know it it could just be thirty plate appearance noise. Uh, I I'm I'm not. 
I'm not smart enough to know when these things stabilize. Uh, I, I have to look into that to be a better analyst, but uh, I, it's, it's really encouraging right now. As someone who lost his bid for him uh, in TGFBI and has not gotten any shares of him yet, I hope you're wrong. <laughs> but for everyone else out there, I hope that I hope that you're right here. I mean, yeah. obviously, it'd be great if we actually saw like a tangible change here and he could keep this up. Um, but yeah, which leagues are we looking to grab him in, ideally? Yeah, so uh, you, you mentioned that you did not get him in TGFBI. I did. So this is another one of those practice what you preach things. Ha. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, I think any league with five outfielders, Bader should be considered. And I would consider him a must add in anything reasonably deep. If you're a 16 teamer, NL only, and anything like that, I, I think Bader is, is a must add. Yeah, because he's going to contribute both in like, home runs and steals. He's going to right. chip in and give you a little bit of each. And that in and of itself is valuable. Obviously we need a lot of that. I mean, most, I mean, for me, I've been dying for steals in a few different leagues because of injuries. I was the fool who drafted Alberto Mondesi and tried to hang on to him, hoping that he would come back and he's still not quite back yet. And who knows when he's actually going to return and obliques or iffy, what have you. So uh, definitely a good grab. Yeah, uh, someone else, like, oh, sorry. Under, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, like understanding what you're getting here. The floor is a very bad batting average yep. and then decent power, some steals. And then the upside here is like, you're getting like an, an all year long contributor to your lineup. Yeah. If those changes hold, definitely. I mean, uh, it's making me sad that I didn't win that bid right now, but we'll see how it turns out for him. I mean, I really hope, well, for your sake, I will say I wish you well, Schwebzy. For everyone else, especially the the person who won it, I can't remember who won him in my TGFBI league. I hope he does poorly. But for you, Schwebzy, I wish <laughs> you all the success with Harrison look, Bader. I, look, I am staring at George Springer, Cody Bellinger, and Brian Buxton all on my injured list right now. I need an outfielder to pan out. Please, oh, Harrison gosh. Bader, keep been, on, keep doing this thing you're doing. Keep keep having good plate discipline. Pretty please. The story that many uh, fantasy aficionados are currently spouting oh, off everywhere is just like injuries have been an absolute yeah, this year. It's the, been the injury bad. landscape. Oof. There's people that have been, I mean, like for me, like I had the team where I had Brian Hayes, Juan Soto when he was still on the IL. Uh, 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 bah, bah, bah. I, I had like four other guys. Oh, oh Brian Hayes. You mean another member of my TGFBI squad? Oh cool. yeah, him. Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. A guy that just got moved to the 60 day IL. I'm having a good time. This is fun. We're having fun. We love fantasy baseball. It's so much fun. <laughs> All right. And then let's move on to the last batter that we're going to kind of dive into a little bit deeper. And then we have a few more quick hits after that. That's going to be Nico Goodrum. Uh, Schwebzy, we don't have a ton to say on Goodrum. I know that for me, this is something that I have also identified in him as well as like he's hot for a little bit and then he's just absolutely not. Uh, what do we have to say about Goodrum here? Yeah. So, so those last like five guys I talked about are, are my, my good analysis. Here's my bad analysis. Here's my gut, my, my gut talking to me about Nico Goodrum. He seems to have a stretch every year where he's fantasy relevant and he's been pretty awesome for the last couple of weeks, hitting 289 with six runs, two home runs, seven RBIs and three steals. This is the last 15 days while being eligible at like every position Yep. and playing strong defense. Again, he's going to be in the lineup. It's always nice to have a versatile players. Uh, I know I've been loving the leagues where I have, uh, you know, Arias or my your Jeff McNeils or your Kike Hernandez's. I, I love uh, the versatility that a player like Nico Goodrum brings, and like 
the 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 streakiness and the absolute deluge of injuries that baseball's been dealing with lately, you can absolutely do worse as a stopgap. Uh, like the hole in my heart after uh, my wife left me for Chris Flexen, you can absolutely plug the holes in your roster with good rum. Uh, this is going to be Nick's favorite episode that we do by like a mile. You're making him so proud right now. This is all for him. It's all for you. Uh, as, as Schwebsy would say, daddy, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, does, this, uh, does this please you, Papa? Are you proud of me now, Dad? Are you proud of me now? <laughs> Anyways, oh, uh, quick hits. We got a, uh, four guys here that we're going to kind of just like spout off. Three of them, I believe, at least, we've talked about previously. I think we also talked about Jan Gomes. I yes. think all four of these yes. we've touched on previously. So uh, just real quick, Galvis, Freddie Galvis, same old stuff, plays a ton for the Orioles. He's going to get his playing time, and he's going to get those counting stats playing Camden Yards. Uh Pretty great. Uh, also, Josh been hot lately too. He also has been hot lately. That is true. Uh, Josh Naylor, launch angle. Do the launch angle, please. Please do the launch angle. We would appreciate it greatly if you do would do launch that angle, launch angle. Find, just find find that hit that that raw power and hit tool, and just bring that into a game just a couple times. We would love to see that. Uh, Mike Talkman uh, started off his tenure as a Giant fairly hot, and then has petered off just a little bit. But he's, I mean, he's still looking reasonably fine uh batting like 265 ish right now i believe since he came over to the giants uh same thing that we have always said about talkman previously and then last one jan gomes uh still a fine option he's still going to have a playing time split with alex avila so you have to kind of keep in mind when he's going to play if it's like a daily league make sure that you're checking your lineups and swapping them in and out as necessary but has some pop on the bat still uh so definitely worth rostering especially in like your 15 plus team leagues and two catcher leagues uh i think that's all we have for batters right Schwebs? is that not enough for you do you want more i have more i could do more are you not entertained says schwebsy that's really hard to say says schwebsy says schwebsy there we go we got it okay cool uh all right, so let's get to talking about some pitchers here. So first one that I wanted to cover here is Tyler Anderson of the Pirates. So the Pirates starting pitching situation is one that not many folks are trying to take a second look at, mostly because they haven't taken a first look at it in the first place. Uh, but Tyler Anderson as SP1 for the Pirates is having like a pretty sneaky, solid year so far. Nick Pollock currently has him ranked in the most recent top 100 rankings as SP number 98. So you can tell how bad the starting pitching situation is there in Pittsburgh. But so far, Anderson's doing pretty great. He's got a 3.24 ERA and a 1.14 whip this year. And that's been trending downwards through each of his starts. He's also got three straight quality starts in a row. So he's on a pretty good run. And I wanted to dive in a little bit and see if this is actually sustainable and maybe worth rostering him in some of your leagues. He's only 15% owned currently uh, between yahoo and espn leagues uh according to the folks over at fangraphs anderson's putting up a career best csw at 29.1 percent, which is it's not exceptional by any means uh that's not what you're going to get going to the pittsburgh pirates pitching staff to find some value but it's pretty good it's an improvement uh also his zone contact rate is currently at 75.1 percent, which is very very respectable and he has a swinging strike rate of 13.5 which is one of the higher ones that he's had in his career. I think it's about 50%. Well, at least on his fastball, 
he's missing bats over 50% more than any point in his career, which is pretty great. Uh, most of that is due to the improvements on the fastball, and he's currently seeing a career best in spin rate on that at 2,422 uh, RPMs, and that's the 87th percentile in baseball. So he's got a really, really nice fastball in comparison to previous years. Uh, he's also throwing it for strikes way more often at 67.4%, which is about 7% higher than he has in any other year in his career. I think the most exciting thing about Anderson, though, besides the improvements on his fastball and having that help his other pitches in his repertoire play up, is that his upcoming schedule is absolutely dope. He's got the Giants coming up next at home and then an away game against Atlanta, which I'd probably sit him for. But then the four games after that, if the rotation holds as is, he's got the Cubs at home. He's at Kansas City. And then at home against the Marlins and then at Milwaukee. So that's like five out of his six projected starts coming up that I'd be comfortable running him out for. And if he can maintain these changes that he's made to his fastball, I mean, he feels like a pretty sneaky play. So a couple things about Tyler Anderson. One, this is calling him the best pirate starter is absolute JT Brubaker erasure. And I will not stand for it. (laughs) I I said he was the SP1. He's listed as the SP one on on uh, roster resource. I don't think I said he was the best one. All right, so Brubaker's like number sixty something on uh, on Nick's list. Yeah, but, fair enough. Um, so yeah, this is this is coffee cakes erasure. Yeah. But I I am concerned about Tyler. Like I I absolutely love you. You said you said it was five out of six games. I'm more of the four out of six uh, mind because we we know how the giants treat left-handed pitchers and tyler anderson does happen to be a lefty it's so true i would be wary of that even though it is a home start and pnc is not super batter friendly yeah that was the only reason if it was if it was a way i would have faded it completely and just said wait on him and then pick him up right after that atlanta start but i think i'm still okay trying cuz i mean he's a ground ball pitcher for the most part having a pretty decent ground ball rate of 40.7%. I think that I'd be okay running him out against San Francisco, considering his track records. I mean, I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt for this start. And obviously, if he pitches terribly, then sit him against Atlanta like you would anyways. But yeah. Look, you are you are a braver man than I. And uh, as we've established, when Jordan makes a pick and I don't like it, you should start that person. I mean, I was right about Arietta. Who else was I right about? Who else did I get right? What was the other big call? It was call another, it was another J- uh, Junis. Junis. Oh, yeah, Junis. Yeah, Arietta and Junis. All the and then, oh, just by the way, I am off the Junis train now that he is strictly a reliever until he actually is starting again. Uh, I would steer clear of Jacob Junis. He's been pretty poor uh, recently. With, with what Daniel Lynch did, I, I don't think it'll be that long. That was only one start, though. You got to give the kid a little bit Oof. of time to adjust. That was a bad start, though. You are right. That was ugly. If you want to call uh, that a start, then you get like two outs. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, big yikes. Uh, but to wrap up Tyler Anderson, put a bow on that. I would say pick him up and stream him for the start against the Giants coming up uh, and then sit him against Atlanta. And then the four starts after that, I would just let him go, to be completely honest. As long as he doesn't completely drop the ball. I was going to use a different phrase there, but I censored myself. I'm so proud. <laughs> Anyways, uh, moving on. This, So I'm going to talk about this person, not just because I'm trying to be a homer, I swear, This was actually requested by my friend Adam, who has my phone number and texted me and asked me to talk about this person. Uh, Obviously, not many of you have my phone number, but remember, if you do want to cover someone that maybe we haven't touched on yet, 
always feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. Again, our handle there is at in the deep PL, or you can reach out to our individual accounts with questions and we can hopefully dive into someone on the podcast. Uh, Adrian Hauser is who Adam wanted me to look into. So it'd be really cool if we actually received credit for his batting skills as well, because in his two starts against the Marlins, he homered in both of them against Daniel Castano, hashtag pitchers who rake. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not the case. So we're going to just talk about Hauser's success on the mound. So he's part of the best all-around starting rotation in the majors. And yes, I'm going to stick to my guns on that. And he's been overshadowed by the success of Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and even like the fantasy relevance of Freddie Peralta. But he's put together two straight quality starts. And I wanted to take a look at the underlying data here for my buddy and see if the matchups coming up are good enough to warrant an ad. The short answer is no, just don't do it. Now, don't get me wrong. On the surface level, he's putting up respectable numbers. He's got a 3.44 ERA and a 1.23 whip, which is more than reasonable from a guy that's probably going to be out there in like almost 80% of ESPN and Yahoo leagues. And he hasn't allowed more than three earned runs in any of his starts so far this year, which is really great. But he is giving up a 50% hard hit rate, which is like in the basement of league rankings right now. It's not really ordinary for a sinker baller to see that kind of hard hit rate, but it's still not great. Fortunately for Hauser, most of that contact is ending up in ground balls that are up the middle, and he's got the ultimate short king middle infield combo of Colton Wong and Luis Urias, and that pads the blow a bit. He's also not going to help you in the strikeout category. He did have 10 strikeouts in his most recent start against the Marlins, but that's not who he is. He's never going to be that. Well, not on a regular basis. He's not going to be that guy. So never expect exceptional K to base on ball ratios or just strikeout numbers from Hauser. The biggest bugaboo that I have about him is that his next three starts are supposed to be at home against Atlanta, at Cincinnati in Great American Small Park, and at home against the Padres. These are all just in my eyes, awful, awful matchups. So I'm fading Adrian Hauser for the time being, unless he shows me something that I haven't seen before. What is it with the NL Central and just having fantastic ballpark nicknames? Oh, the Amphan Clam. You got the Amphan Clam. You got the Great American Small Park. I don't know. What are the other ones? Ooh, we'll have to come up with some. Can you, if you're listening to this, tweet us your best ballpark nicknames at In the Deep PL. That would be a good like tournament bracket to do. Like if ballparks have nicknames, like what is the best ballpark nickname? I am not allowed to say the uh, the Mets ballpark nickname on a pitcherless podcast. Also, I swear if anyone tweets at me about uh, American Family Field, formerly known as Miller Park, being Wrigley North, I will send you the address to the nearest Denny's and we will meet up and have a fist fight <laughs> in the parking lot. Is it is it Denny's up there? It's not like Waffle House. Waffle House is more of a southern thing. Waffle House is definitely more of a southern thing. I think once you get into like once you get into like Indiana, I think there's some Waffle Houses in Indiana. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm very northeastern, elitist, and sheltered. <laughs> Clearly. Uh we got Perkins. I don't know. Oh, we have Perkins. That was the place where all the theater kids went to after they were done with their uh production. That wow. or Applebee's. It was one of those two. Those are always the choices that you would go to. We digress. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> uh, speaking of, hey, you just brought up Northeast elitism. Speaking of which, let's talk about a Boston Red Sox. Garrett Whitlock, 
That's what that uh, was so for. That was sort of segue. That was, that was a great segue. We love it. Uh, so we don't talk about relievers a whole bunch usually, but Whitlock was worth mentioning because he's been getting a lot of buzz lately, especially amongst our pitcher list comrades. So Sarah Griffin and Michael Ahedo both did pieces on Whitlock recently. And there's not really any way that I can top the work that they did because I bow down to them. They're both fantastic writers. Also, it feels like there isn't an episode that we don't mention Mikey. He I needs to stop that. being so prolific and good and we'll stop talking about him so yeah, much. Exactly. Mikey, please stop living rent free in our heads. Really? Uh, but okay. Anyways, I digress. Once again, I'm going to try to do some of their analysis justice here. So they both documented in their pieces that the reason Whitlock has seen so much success is that he made changes to how he threw his changeup after spending time with his fellow Red Sox bullpen mate, Matt Andrees. I think that's how you say his last name. I'm sorry if I messed that up. Uh, Andrees told him to focus on his conviction when he was throwing his changeup, maintaining his arm speed while also being mindful of trying to kill the spin on his pitch. He's not changing grips or anything like that. It's just how he was throwing the ball. Uh, this conviction, along with like an incredibly funky delivery, Mikey had a really, really good gif in uh, his piece, breaking down, uh, breaking down Whitlock's delivery, and it's goofy. That delivery, along with his six foot five frame, make Whitlock incredibly hard to time up with the plate. His delivery is like chimeric. It looks like he's going to do one thing and then he does another. I don't know. It's very crazy to look at. So what do the numbers say? Well, the numbers say that his changeup is super duper dope. The pitch so far this year has given up an well, has provided an expected batting average of 195. And he does a really great job of bearing it in low in the zone and below the zone. So he's not throwing it for a ton of like strikes. His zone percentage is very, very low on it. It's something like 30%. But that combined with a slider that he likes to pepper the zone with. It's contributing to an overall O swing of nearly 8% higher than the league average, which is very, very good. And then his overall zone contact rates are 9%, 9.4% lower than the league average. So his stuff is good. He's got a really good repertoire. The only issue is that he's only got two pitches. He has previously been pegged as someone who might be a starter down the line. Unfortunately, he doesn't really have a reliable third offering. The closest thing that he have would be a slider that he's trying to develop. So the real story here is that he's a bulk reliever that's going to provide you some good ratios. And at the very least, I think he's worth an add in like some deeper AL only leagues and maybe some 15 team leagues. But he does have that very fringe possibility of becoming a starter down the line if he can develop that third offering. So guy with upside like that i think is definitely worth a flyer absolutely uh so just two quick hits here really quick uh first one being a real one second one being one specifically <laughs> as a wedding present for schwebzy uh first one nate pearson so we just want to talk about him really quick just because he made his debut today on the day that we're recording this uh prospect pedigree notwithstanding he got knocked around by the astros a little bit today he gave up three earned runs over 2.1 innings pitched 64 pitches over that he had five walks and no strikeouts. Not great, Bob. Yeah. Not very good. Like somehow the, like, like what led to the line was even more gross than the line itself. Yeah. Like he got one whiff on 64 pitches. That's so bad. That's one so whiff. bad. Like nothing. And it, it was on a fastball too. So that means he got absolutely yeah. nothing on his breakers. Like it, 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 the weird thing is there were only a couple of foul balls also. 
So yeah, either it was being, it was either being laying off or, you know, hit into play. Like it it really wasn't pretty. It almost makes me think that he was tipping because I kind it's kind of hard for me to believe that his stuff was that bad because like what we know about Nate Pearson as a prospect is that great stuff, right? In, in theory, uh, it, it's kind of wild to me that he just got like nothing was working. It's incredible to me that with that highly rate, like, I mean, his fastball and slider graded so highly as a prospect only managed a single whiff the entire game. It's absolutely wild to me. Although I'm not, okay. I wasn't going to make the joke, but he was pitching against the Astros. I was just thinking that. I don't know if you saw my grin pop up. Mm, <laughs> nope. I didn't. Cons- it was right. It was because your stream has a delay. Conspiracy <laughs> theorists come out to play. Uh, but anyways, yeah. And then it, it wasn't pretty, but that's the thing. I mean, I think that buried deep within there, once he can actually stay healthy for an extended period of time and get his legs under him, the strikeout upside, I hope, I hope is still going to be there. So, I mean, after that, it might be a good chance to buy low on Pearson. I'm not super duper convinced personally, but yeah, if you're interested in picking up Nate Pearson at any point, now is probably the time. Yeah, I mean, it, it, on my end, I will be trying to pick him up in my AL only league. Um, it's, you know, my my pitching staff could use some help there. And uh, I mean, of all the pitching prospects to come up this year that we're looking forward to, I mean, the only guy in the AL who I'm looking forward to more at the moment is, I don't know, like George Kirby, I think. I'm so excited for Kirby. I can oh, wait, wait am, I, am I mixing up? Debut. Am I mixing up Kirby and Gilbert? Well, Gilbert's going to be up first. Gilbert, Gilbert is the one I'm thinking of. I'm so more excited for Kirby to come stupid, up, to be completely honest. But stupid, like, sexy yes. Mariners with all your prospects. Uh, what's it like to have an amazing farm system? Yeah, right. What's it like to have multiple top pitching prospects? God. Must be nice. And Jared Kelnick. Who? And <laughs> we, don't, right. we don't talk about him. Oh, we don't? I'm sorry. He, oh, he yeah. Would... I, I forgot. That's, that's, bad. that's bad memories for you because you're a Mets fan. Uh all right, last one here. He's been doing awesome, by the way. I'm really excited for him to come up also, uh, what do we, joking what do we aside. Think, what do we think the ETA is on Kelnick? Because I'm sure he's available in a fair amount of leagues. Like The ETA should have been like already. Like He yeah, should be up true. by now. So like, uh, how, how can we really guess? Like, I feel like he's probably going to be up by like the 20th. I hope so. That's my guess. I hope you're right. We'll find out. Yeah. I'm excited for him to actually make his debut. He's going to be fantastic when he does, obviously. Also, Wisconsin pride. He's a Wisconsin boy. I got to rep that because I'm from Wisconsin too. Uh, Finally, to wrap up the episode, as a wedding present to Schwebzy, the last person we're going to cover is Chris Flexen. And all I have to say about Chris Flexen is don't fall for the trap. That's it. Just don't do it. Nate Lowe demolished a changeup from Chris Flexen right down the middle for a three-run dinger in the last game, and I've never been happier. I can't explain to you. So we were doing research for the episode earlier on the stream, and Schwebzy rewatched that moment that Nate Lowe made contact with that pitch. I'm not kidding. Like 15 to 20 times in a row. Just almost- like a one-second loop, just... I almost broke the MLB film room just looping that one thing over and over again. He actually is going to use it as he's going to he's going to have that one second just looped over and over again. And it's going to be what he plays to put himself to sleep tonight and every night from here on out. That's a much nicer thing that I was thinking. 
Can't right. say the other stuff on Pitcherless Podcasts. So, anyways, all right, let's wrap it up here, Schwebzy. Thanks for doing this again, bud. I know that we were both like not feeling super great before this started because obviously I have a migraine right now that I'm trying to fight through and then you are full of Italian food, both very difficult things. Yeah, um, yeah. No, <laughs> I, we, we powered through though. We did it. We, we are, we we are troopers it. in the world of fantasy. Uh, so I just want to say once again to everyone out there that listened, thank you so much for listening to In the Deep. We appreciate it. Uh, we also would appreciate it so much if you would follow and subscribe to our podcast on whatever podcast platform you find yourself on, whether that is Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, what have you. Leave us a review, five stars, if you like what we have to offer. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at InTheDeepPL for our shared account or individually at Schwebzy, that's S-H-W-E-B-S-I, or Bunt Singles for me. And we'll be back next week with another episode with a guest host, remember, because... Schwebzy is getting married. Congratulations once again, Schwebzy. Thank you. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Bye, friends. Bye.